Hello and welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. And this week, we are back for night three of Nightmares and Dreamscapes. But before we get into these nearly plotless hours, how was your week? Was there plot? Did you have um, plot? My week had more plot than these two films. I have to say that I was actually kind of, yeah. Um, it's like, I, I, I'm sorry, I just, like, it occurred to me that I actually liked a couple of, one of the episodes a lot, so. No, um, that's, that's fine. All right. So, um, well, I, it's, it's very hard to judge time and plot in Corona times. It's true. Because one day sort of bleeds into the next. It's I can't true. remember when I achieved something and when I didn't. And right um, now we're living through a heat wave. And it's we're living so through a heat hot. wave, so it's, it's, it's just a lot of yuck. Yeah, and we're not going to the beach, y'all, because uh, there's still coronavirus out there. So. Right, so I have respect for my fellow human beings, even if I don't particularly like some of them. But uh, how was your week? What did you, did you have my high point? My actual week or mm. the week of our recording? The week of our recording. <laughs> was there a high point for you? Uh, I just didn't get, we just passed Memorial Day weekend. Uh-huh. Uh, a three-day weekend wherein I worked two of the three days. Mm-hmm. So that's less than good. But when this comes out, I will have just had a long weekend, and I will have driven away and visited right. a friend, even though the coronavirus is out there, and I just said I wasn't going to do that. Well, I think One that friend, not a thousand friends right. at the beach. One friend. One. Yes, well, I, I, I was just <gasps> Who works from home? One friend. The number of social gatherings I saw, impromptu social gatherings with people who had no regard for anybody else's safety. I didn't see any, but I heard them. They were loud on the street. Right, it so I'm just, I was kind of bothered by that. So that was disappointing that people have so little consideration for other people. Yeah, there's a little bit of, I'm, a, I'm young and I'm invincible happening. Yeah, so hopefully they are invincible there's and a, their grandparents are as well. A very strange idea that seems to be that there's going to be a point when this is over. Yeah, and in I, I two years is, when there's a vaccine. <laughs> yeah, but I also think this is something new to the world. Yes. Well, and so, it's new to this group of humans on in the world. Right, well, I, right? yeah, there's no way like, of saying that it hadn't existed before, but it essentially is a new thing, and so therefore it's something new that we have to coexist with. Right. And yes, the vaccine will help tremendously, but we're coexisting with this new thing, and so they're acting as if the, the way that you used to behave to overcome an illness is the same way that this one will work, and we don't know that. Right. Well, uh, also we have people in charge who are... In deep, deep denial, which is not an ideal situation. Mm. So we have to do our best to take care of ourselves and each other. And each other. Uh, And that is what we are trying to do. So in that spirit, we stayed home and we watched some things on YouTube. Right. Oh, you know what? You know what happened this week? You know what happened this week? Oh, yes, that's true. Uh, Our TV didn't turn on, and so we had to buy a new TV. A new, even larger TV. Yeah. I'm thinking that I might actually just use it as a home. It's be You right. get inside of it? I get inside the TV. <laughs> I, was, I mentioned that earlier that I am not going to watch The Ring the on this ring. television. Yes, no, she'll just straight up come out into our right. living room. She's now large enough, the TV's large enough now that she can crawl out of it. And this is not... An extravagance because we have to watch a lot of TV to keep all of you entertained. So That's it's right. Really, your fault. We did this for you. We no. did this for you. <laughs> Everything I do is for you. It's all for you. And you know, it broke on Memorial Day weekend, so sales were happening. Right. So there are Harryhausen films to watch. I can't do that on a small screen. No, you can't. I need to count you must all of watch the Argonauts, it. all of them. Yes, I didn't want a 4K TV, but you know what? You have to buy now for 4K. Yeah. So yes, we had no choice. <sighs> but now I get to see all of the Argonauts. I Every single watch, one of them. I used to watch a little tiny television in my room when I was a kid. I had one starting when I was about 11 years old because no one wanted to see the kind of movies I was watching. Same. So it was a little tiny television, mm-hmm. and I think I got two of the Argonauts and one skeleton. And oh, there was wow. like things at the edges of the frame, or they were all so small that I couldn't see what was going on. Well, and we are old because here's my first mm. thing. Look how big the prince and the guide is. Right, I know. There was a, a moment <laughs> wow. when I... I and was... I was like, 
oh, I think I might have died. I right. think that might have been me dying there when I said that out loud. Nearly tears in my eyes when I saw how big the font was. I was like, oh my yeah. gosh, it's so, going to be so easy to read with my 51-year-old eyes. This is the first geriatric pod where, podcast, I guess. That's us, geriatric podcast. Right, there we go. We'll just start talking, eventually start beating on the microwave and saying, how come I can't get the, the screen to clear up? That's yeah, right. That's no, you can't whack that's, these on the side anymore. You, well, no, this is far too expensive to whack on the side. I mm. miss the days that my dad used to love when you could go back because he was a uh, he worked for General Motors for years and years and years and so he was a tinker mm-hmm. so that included the television set mm-hmm. those days are gone you cannot there's nope. nothing to touch here nope there's no buttons same thing with cars though yeah like most cars are oh like, he would be horribly disappointed you have nowadays. to plug this into a computer for right. anything to happen so yeah you know you would open the hood of a car and he would sit there and work on it every Saturday afternoon um and now he'd just be horribly disappointed. Like, what is this? What, where's yes, all the, where is the all things the that connect to other things? Yeah. Yeah. So nope. It tells you that shows you how little I learned about cars. Yes. Things that connect to things. That well, you don't things. drive, so that there's helps. some kind of tube that connects to another tube. So okay, let's talk about tubes that connect to tubes. Well, this Roads. is important, right? Roads are tubes that connect the to tubes. road virus. Heads north. So, episode one of uh-huh. this evening. Which is number five. Which is episode five. If you're following along in your Bible. Is The Road Virus Heads North, mm-hmm. starring one Tom Berenger. Tom Berenger. Who is great. Mm-hmm. He also, if you ever needed to describe Tom Berenger to your friends, you'd say, you know, generic white man in his 50s. <laughs> well, Tom Berenger is not Harrison Ford. As Treat Williams is also, at one point in his career, was not Harrison Ford. Oh, was they he? They were Harrison Ford-like. Oh, uh, okay. And he's done some good movies. I shouldn't say that. That sounds disrespectful. He's appeared in some very good films, but yeah. yeah. I thought he was good in this. He was very good in Platoon. I've never seen Platoon. Yeah, Last of the Dogmen was a fun movie. That was a, like a, that a dad movie. Yeah. But um, so what happened in The Road Virus Heads North? A Road Virus, which is a painting, headed north. This feels to me like Stephen King's entry into Night Gallery. Yes. No, we should discuss that. I was, I'm glad you said that. <laughs> I'm so glad because I grew up with Night Gallery. So Night Gallery, I knew was a show, but yeah. I basically know the movie. Right. right. So in 1969, Rod Serling, based on his reputation for Twilight Zone, did uh, an anthology television movie. Uh, that had it was segments. a television movie? Yeah, I didn't realize that. It was a television movie with segments directed by Steven Spielberg and, yeah. and some others. That That's the one that everyone in remembers. In 1969? Yes. And it was creepy. It was wonderful. There was every one of those stories is a peach. There's the former Nazi who wants to escape to South, who's escaped to South America and spends his time trying to will himself into a painting in an art gallery. There is... Um, a very creepy story about a painting that appears to live on its own and warn the owner that someone's crept up from their crib and is out to get him. And the story that Spielberg directed with Joan Crawford about a blind woman who wants to be able to see for a single hour and is stealing another man's eyes to do it. Well, that's not accurate. She can see the whole night. Right. Well, don't tell them what the twist is because it's a, it's a hell of a twist. There's a, it's Rod Serling. Yeah. Have watched Night Gallery. I need you to have watched Night Gallery. And it wound up uh, jumping from there into a regular TV show. The focus of it, Rod Serling would appear in a gallery. There's art, there's paintings mostly, but there's a lot of other kinds of art, and he points out how they illustrate the points of each story. But Night Gallery did have some wonderful segments that were about people looking into paintings, people disappearing into paintings. This very much feels like one of those stories. Yes. So... I remember being deeply afraid of the, it's what I always refer to as the Portrait of Dorian Gray right. one, Yeah, where this man is very careful to keep this painting of himself locked up and then turpentine is spilled on it and he is hit by a truck. <laughs> but you don't see him hit by the truck, but you see the, the painting with turpentine like smeared across it. And that really... Like, it, messed with me. It really messed with me. The episode, the two I remember, the doll, the first adaptation of Algernon Blackwood's story about an evil doll was done on that gallery. And they did a wonderful job because the doll itself was designed by the guy who did the creature from the Black Lagoon. So he went all out creating possibly the most hideous doll I've ever seen. And they also did a story called... Until it, Annabelle. That right. doll is hideous. 
And then they did a story called The Caterpillar, which everyone in my generation remembers, about a person who gets an earwig stuck in their ear. No, thank you. And that's... Oh, go ahead and pass. Yeah, that story has lived on and actually becomes sort of an urban legend. That it originated really with that particular episode of Night Gallery, yeah. which was really well done. And it's become... People remember this as if it actually happened. So I will say, though, this felt very much like an episode yeah, of that. Yes, it did. Right? I mean, that's much. basically what There's this was. There's a painting... Was. Um, Left behind uh, by an artist, right? Yes. Yeah, so th- Tom Berenger plays a writer, shocking, Richard mm-hmm. Cannell. He is driving mm-hmm. from Boston to his home in Derry, Maine. And on the way, he stops at a uh, yard sale, garage sale, whatever, bric-a-brac sale. I don't know what they call them back east. And he uh, finds a painting of a man with sharply filed teeth driving his car across Boston's Tobin Bridge. The title of the painting is The Road Virus Heads North. And he is told that the man that painted this burned all of his other paintings and himself. So, well, I don't know if he burned himself. He committed suicide. I okay, don't think I was like, Whoops, I you have to play with matches, kids. Uh, and then he left a cryptic note explaining uh-huh. he couldn't stand what was happening any longer. And Canal is like, this painting has my name all over it. How much do you want for it? He sells it and like for, gets it for like $400, which was like a hefty amount of money for a right. painting by a nobody from a garage sale. But okay, I like this. It, it kind of mirrors the scene in the second uh, It movie where... Stephen King plays a junk dealer, t- plays uh-huh. an antiques dealer, seeing the famous person and like gouging him for cash because right. he knows he's got it. It feels like that. And so he starts driving home. The painting changes and shit happens. Da, da, da. That's the end. pretty much all that happens in this story. Um he stops by a woman's house yeah. who appears to be his age, but apparently in the story is his aunt. I thought that was supposed to be his sister. I, they may have made it his sister. I uh, don't think it's clear. You know they're not in a romantic relationship, right. but they love each other. So that, yes, yeah. it's some sort of family member. In the book, it's an aunt. I, th- that woman was Tom Berenger's age, so I don't think it was an aunt. But there are, you know, weird families where there's big differences in ages in the siblings, so maybe... Uh, the painting, she doesn't like the painting. She says, get rid of it. He throws it off of a bridge. It reappears. He uh, veers through some traffic and gets his car covered in a bunch of muck from some road work being done, but doesn't really remember what happened. So we're not clear if he had full control over the vehicle or himself mm-hmm. or if he's blacking out. Uh he the the painting changes a few times. It's like uh, he's in the car, he's out of the car. At one point, there's a decapitated head. Uh, even after he throws it away, when he gets home, it's waiting for him. And there's a a carnage at the yard sale where he bought it. So it's like following him up. There she's listed here as Aunt Trudy. Okay, so Aunt. Which is weird. It's Marsha Mason, who is a very famous actress, um, particularly in the seventies when she had a, a big film career. Uh, but yeah, I just it's it's bizarre. I was assuming it was his sister. Yeah. So it ends up with him dying. The mm-hmm. painting kills him. The painting kills everybody. I guess. Yeah. It's kind of unclear. It was fine. I don't know. <laughs> the way you said that. Um, um, this felt like. It was some actors in search of a story. And, like, they were kind of given an outline mm-hmm. and were like, you know, fill 45 minutes. So, and and the, here's, the num- here's the paintings that you're going to see, right? Because uh, there are a series of, what, four paintings. The succession of paintings, he tries to get rid of it. Everything in the story was very, very, very predictable. Um, you can see all of it happening. You know where it's going to go. You know how the ending's going to, uh, how, how the story's going to wind up. There were some 
good artistic choices and some poor ones, too. Mm. And it seemed almost as if the director was trying on all sorts of new tricks to keep you engaged for the overlong hour. This would Wait, have made, 43 minutes. It, you could have uh, done this in 20. Something that we should bring up from the Night Gallery show was that uh, an interesting element of that program was that the actual TV show was an hour long. Mm-hmm. And the segments were different lengths. It was oh, okay. story went twenty minutes. It went twenty minutes. The story went half an hour. It went half an hour. Sometimes it was the entire set of the right. show. Right. But they were able to do several of them per hour generally, and so you never you had some that were just right. short. That's you how long it needed to and be. This felt like it could have used that kind of pruning. This is not a long story, and. It needed some tightening up because there's constant flashing back to the same painting. Yeah, that's the other which thing. Which was not particularly visually interesting. That's what I wanted to say. Mm-hmm. So I've had complaints over some of these adaptations where I'm like, this is not a visual story. Right. Like Firestarter, fire is visual, but the starting of the fire is not visual. Carrie right. is not a particularly visual story. There are some stories that just don't translate well to the visual medium. This, on the other hand, should have transferred well to the visual medium, and they didn't use painting, the painting. What we see of the painting is underwhelming, Mm -hmm. not that scary, other than the fact that it's changing. It's so garish and over the top. Well, it looks very much like a, it doesn't, uh, what I'm supposed to get from this story is that here's a tortured artist who puts his soul into his work literally. Mm-hmm. And now it's it's pursuing this person who has a connection with it. What I got was here is something that looks like a comic book drawing. Mm-hmm. Which it, is fine, but it wasn't yeah, but it even like that good of quality. It doesn't seem like something so compelling this man's going to pay $400 because he mm-hmm. has to have it. And it doesn't seem frightening enough. I mean, keep enough. in mind what $400 is right, to but, a rich author too. It's but not, it's not frightening enough to, no. to where his aunt... I mean, 90, 98% of the time when right. there is a piece of art in things, mm-hmm. it's not that good. Right. Then there's, you know, the occasional movie about a poet who fucking hires Maya Angelou to right. write the poems. Like, there's a right. way to do it. They could have gotten any one of the illustrators for, you know, Stephen King's stuff. And Brian Henson, like once again, Henson was they were illustrator they were doing all of the effects for this. Mm-hmm. This painting could have been amazing. Right. Well, and this series of paintings could have been amazing. And it was underwhelming at best. It just it it wasn't frightening, and I don't understand why Sister Aunt was so terrified by it. She was unnerved by it. Right. Which I have been unnerved by paintings, but not that painting. So, what now that you mentioned that there was a film from 1958 called The Horse's Mouth, okay, with Alec Guinness, and this was about a, a painter. Uh, they hired the director hired an expressionistic painting painter John Bradby to paint these enormous murals for the film, mm-hmm. and so you had an actual artist so yes. that it didn't fall flat on its face. When yeah. this is the story of an artist, and the art just looks sad. Yes, this very much feels like I'm looking at a. A cartoon panel or or a comic book panel, and I don't see exactly what's so compelling about this particular painting. Yeah. So because of that, the center is it's hollow. Yeah. There's no center to it. Yeah. Okay, that mediocre painting. Berger is is fine. Uh Oh, he's good. He's always. I've never seen him like fall flat on his face in a performance. Um, And it's almost a one-hander because mm -hmm. he's just in with the. I mean, it's he's he's sharing. Every other person in this is a woman. Right. So that's which is an interesting thing. But what it also means is all of the people that he's interacted with are women and they're the ones who are getting the brunt of this right. violence. So now he's just let, left a trail of dead women behind him. Uh-huh. We don't know if he did it. Yeah, there if seems to the be painting the, right. made him do it, if he is the vessel for the violence, or the ghost they're of the just, character, right? Who's obviously Tom Berenger as well, or at least it seems to be I, maybe, in a wig. I don't know, and, but it's never done in a way that's again. There's nothing surprising or sadly particularly interesting. Everyone's doing their best to hold up their performance. Uh, they're, they're part of the, the performance, but yeah, it just doesn't. It's, it's not. It doesn't work. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, when that finishes up, we go right into the fifth quarter. I, you, this must be the one that you were into yes. then. Yeah. So, so far, good one, mediocre one, every night. Mm-hmm. I would have liked this one to also be meteor. 
I don't know. I, it's interesting. I think this 43 minutes is hampering them because mm-hmm. I think they could have gotten more into the story, but I think that they were afraid to do that, that it would be overpacked. So then it feels right. thin to me. So why don't you explain what the story is about? And then All right. I think that really this was a step up for me, but, um, but you go ahead. So this story uh, is about Jeremy Sisto, who has just gotten out of jail, prison, name is Willie. We see him at the first and he's in prison. Uh-huh. Samantha Mathis is his wife. Right? Yeah. And his baby mama. And she's visiting him in prison and he's getting out. He gets out and there's a bit of talk between them about Barney who was was that his name? Seems Barney, like such yes. a goofy, goofy name but Barney who had been Sisto's cellmate cellmate Mm -hmm. and had lived apparently on his release he lived uh for a brief period of time with sister's wife and 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 son which we then find out they were yes but intimate right which no yeah of course they were like it's fine so willie is out he's gonna keep his nose clean and he's gonna get a job He's going to straighten up, and then Barney shows up on his doorstep, shot. Got shot. With a quarter of a map in his hand. Uh-huh. And he basically says, I was in it with four other guys. The money is hidden where this map leads to. There are four quarters. Uh, one of them said that they were going to, they wanted to buy this off of me. Right. I went there and he shot me. But I, I didn't give him my map piece. Now you got to take this, and you take that money for Karen. And mm-hmm. that's when he kind of knows, oh. And he says, no hard feelings about your wife, which, I mean, you're dying in front of me. What hard feelings am I going to have? And, uh, and then Barney dies. Oh, no. And then they have this map piece. And the whole time I'm thinking, uh, because she wants to call the police because they have now have a dead man in their right. in their house, and I'm just like, I promise you that Willie's parole involves not being around Barney. So right. if you call the police and they come here, Willie's going to back to prison. Like he just is. He doesn't even have to do anything because here's the way parole works. You have to like pledge to not do certain things, including owning a gun and being part of a criminal organization or associating or, or with, associating the, with right, criminals and your former cellmate if is if that's not criminal element there is no right. such thing as criminal element so he's like we can't call the fucking police so they discard the body and then he decides well i don't know if what barney told me was true but i have to presume that they're not going to just let me a nobody that they don't know walk in and take right. a quarter of this so if i want any of it i got to take it all that's basically the thrust of it. Now he's going to go take out these other three dudes, get their parts of the map, figure out where this treasure is, and go get it. Uh-huh. And he refers to himself when he introduces himself to, I believe it is Sarge, as the fifth quarter. Maybe not. Oh, Keenan. Keenan is the first person he goes to. Uh, I do believe he kills him. Sarge yeah. has come over to Keenan's because uh-huh. they need to talk. And then he kills Sarge. Injure, he at Sarge, least injures both of them. Right. I don't know that he kills anybody. Um, I believe he does, but mostly they seem to be interested in wiping each other out. Yeah. It, it's it's really a three people can have a secret if two people are dead right. kind well, of situation, good. right? I like that. Oh, I got that from the theme song that, for Pretty Little Liars. That was completely original. Three can keep a secret if two of them are dead. They do it in a very sing-songy way. And it's like, oh no, people are going to die. Pretty Little Liars is a weird show, y'all. Uh, and let's see. Then, So the, the three dudes are Keenan, Jagger, and Sarge. 
they end up killing, I think they all just end up kind of killing each other, and he escapes wounded, uh-huh. but he escapes with all of the puzzle pieces, right? right? All of the map pieces. At which point, the police show up and take Willie away, because they have found his former cellmate, like, real close to his Very house. Do that, yeah, <laughs> yeah that. like... And I don't remember what tipped them off. I think maybe one of the four, one of the three uh-huh. sent a tip in about uh, right. Barney being shot, and that might have been what did it. So he gets picked up and gets carted away. So now we just have Samantha Mathis. Poor, blonde, Samantha Mathis. Lisa. She's got the map. And she Karen. is feeding her son... Oh, is it Karen? Karen. Oh, it's Karen in the movie. Okay. Sorry. It's Lisa in the... In the, the novella or the short story? In the short story. Okay. Yeah. Sorry about that. So, well, Samantha Mathis. Anyhow, Blondie McBlonderson. We just saw her. She was in Salem's Lot. Mm-hmm. She played Kissy Face with Rob Lowe. Remember? Remember? I remember. <laughs> okay. I like Samantha Mathis. I know you do. I've, I've been unimpressed. But that's fine. So she is feeding her child, and I don't know if it's a commercial or the back of the, the, back of the cereal, cereal box, box right. that she recognizes this map. This map is not a map to an island. That's the thing. They were thinking it was an island, and it might be in a lake or it might be in the ocean. They weren't sure. I guess this is a land also before, a time really before Google. So, right. <laughs> so... She was probably going to have to put some time in at the library. But then she sees the cereal box and she realizes it's at a carnival. She goes to the carnival and she goes into the, like, I guess it's like the tunnel of love type thing Uh at this carnival. And there is a treasure chest. And within the treasure chest is a knapsack full of money. She wins. Willie loses. Everybody loses. The lady wins. That's how it ends. She's got cash. I really expected somebody to sneak in after her. So what exactly, what was your objection to this one? I didn't have an objection to it. Mm. I think, as I said, they could have padded it out a little bit. It felt thin. That's what I said. That's what I meant. Uh, The ending, also, I I really thought something, there was going to be a little bit of a twist at the end. Like, Uh he gets carted away at, like, minute... 32 uh-huh. and then there's this 10 minute sequence of just her realizing where the money is going to get the money and that's just it like there is so you felt like there was there needed to be more time to explore this all yeah maybe or yeah. I, I think they had the time right and i think that they didn't explore it very well like those fight scenes could have been longer or blocked better you know You're right which, I don't know, maybe if you have Jeremy Sisto as your leading man, you don't want a lot of fight scenes, because I don't know how good at that he is. No offense, he was Lupo. He was in Law & Order. Yeah, but that's mostly flipping your badge at people and investigating. True. And this one-liners. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually really liked this because it was, and we, we talked about Omni's last case being a, an example of someone mocking film noir as a style. Mm-hmm. And this really captures noir as yeah. the themes, which is, as King put it, like the girl who loved Tom Gordon, the whole world's out to get you. The, it has teeth, you know, his yeah. observation that, and that's the observation of noir is everything is out to get you. Yeah. And he has a very noir closing line. Which I like. Mm-hmm. And then this movie or this episode didn't really deliver on that because it was a pretty saccharine ending. I think that it, was my problem. I, I think it was, except for Sisto's character who winds up in jail. Right, but and he has a great long... tough guy closing line. You know, it's like, well, you're out for a record short amount of time. Well, it seemed long. Seemed long, yeah. Yeah, and that was a great kind of yeah, because he'd been out for a day, right, or now, something like mind that. Mind you, if you can imagine Robert Mitchum delivering a you know a line like that, yeah, that would make sense. But it's not his ending. I have an right. issue with it's it's uh, her ending. Yeah, and well, I was glad because I was like, well, is he going to kill her now for mm-hmm. cheating on him? Because that is a thing right. that could have happened and would have been gross. Because, hey, you were in prison for like seven years, and you sent your young, good-looking cellmate to my home. Who is the same performer you said from, also from Salem's Lot? 
Oh, yes. Right. He was the shirtless dude who came right. on to... Mr. Abs. Yes, to Andre Brower's character. And then realized, oh, wait, I'm dead. Um, I think that score? what I liked about this film in particular was the noir themes, right? I don't know if this is the this group of performers who could carry it out. I think, actually, Samantha Mathis was very good. I was grateful to see for a the, black man. Right, but for the character that she's playing, she was very good. Um, but what I think is interesting is that we've discussed before this sort of issue with homosexuality that comes across in some of the Saving Sing oh, stories. Oh, yeah, King there stories. was a very brief indication that Sisto and Bernard, or what that was It was name? Barney and Willie, Barney, the characters. Barney and Willie had been intimate in prison. Right, because... And so she was like, so you don't get to judge me right. on what I did. I'm and not judging you, and you're not going to judge there's me. A, we don't get the love scene between the, the, the married couple, but we do get afterwards where she pointedly asks him, how did you... What did you? How did you make do while you were in prison? She's going to approach the subject of the fact that her husband and Barney were lovers. I prison. don't think she would have uh, really had he not had it not come out and, right. and smacked her in the face. And then you make that makes me defensive now, right? right? Like I don't think I did anything wrong. And you, if you think what I did was wrong, what you did was wrong. So yeah, and, let's and how about they cancel each other out and we that don't. made an interesting dynamic for me, or interesting enough to carry the drama of the part of the, of the story, which is that Barney is a character who knows he can't stick around when Willie comes back, but right. they're essentially like they're so close that they share everything, including his wife. So you kind of think that maybe Barney. Well, as soon as Barney knew he wasn't going to make it, he was like, I just got to do my best to get this to them. Right, to get this stake to these two characters. Because he loves they're the closest thing to family that he's right. got. And, yeah. and so their family dynamic is awfully weird and twisted up. But at the same time, we don't get that many sympathetic depictions of gay characters in King's work itself. Correct. Often their sexuality, like for instance, that we saw in Hearts of Atlantis, uh, the person's clo- uh, closing their homosexuality, uh, yeah, closing their homosexuality, right. and sexually abusing a young girl in town to prove his masculinity. Right. So we get a lot of really negative. Right. Not to say that he has negative uh, opinion of, of gay people. Right. But the characters he chooses to express that are often people who are twisted up about it. Right. And They're a lot really of times up. is that's because he's writing mm-hmm. in the '70s in in small towns. Right. Which is not. Uh, that doesn't excuse it, uh-huh. but it might explain well, there's it. Well, there's an element of the book, Salem's Lot, where one of the books that Ben Mears wrote was about uh, a character being in prison, and there was a prison rape scene. Mm-hmm. And uh, Susan doesn't want to tell her mother about this because she knows that in this small town, this kind of casual conversation about homosexuality is going to upset her. So there was still a sensitivity, like you're saying, to the fact that who his readership is. Right. Um, but again, you know, the sisters in um, The Shawshank Redemption, right? There's We have to make the excuse they're not homosexuals. They're not, you'd have to be human yes. to be homosexual. Right. So instead we right. have this story where this gay character is really, or not gay character, bisexual character, is trying to bring these two people together who probably wouldn't have made these choices had they had another way to live their life. And so it's about people sacrificing a lot, I think. Barney was sacrificing because he realized he didn't have a place here, but he's going to try to do right by them. And Karen, I think Karen is the one who is carried by both of them because Willie, you know, Jeremy Sisto's character, is also making this grand sacrifice, realizing, because she tells him very early on that she's not going to stand by him if he doesn't have a stint in prison. Yes, no, I did. That's done I at did the it. outset, right. And I'm not doing it again. I, I can't do this again. So, yeah, I, I thought for that... Yeah, and I think this mm. money, I mean, gets, gets her a new life. I think that if he gets out again, right. she probably wouldn't be like, you don't get any of this. Right. But she's certainly going to set herself up for comfort. I don't know that he'll get out again because he's in for murder this time. And he tells a fabricated story about murder, so that, on top of the time that, on top of the fact that he was already a criminal, this is going to... And I don't know that they believe him. I don't know that they believe that he's not responsible for the murder of the other characters. But, um, but yeah, to me, it really was compelling because it did have this yeah dynamic. I just felt like the end fell flat for me, and they had time to do something there was, with it. There was a dramatic story and an action story. 
And the action part of the story felt a lot like watching a really old Tiff, uh, excuse me, Tiff, watching an, a tough old film noir like The Big Combo or Kansas City Confidential, where there's a plot and there's a scheme and there's a heist or something similar. Um, but Or Asphalt Jungle or something like that. But at the same time, the elements didn't gel together. Mm-hmm. I like the dramatic part of the story much more than I like Jeremy's sister running around in dark rooms shooting people yeah. or being shot. Well, at. that was a lot of people who don't know how to film action and people who don't right. know how to act action working together <laughs> for the There's, common so good. I don't, yeah. That's why I liked the other part of the story. The part that worked for me was the dramatic actors being dramatic and being given something to say and exploring a dynamic. Uh, when was this episode... Uh, episode aired it was aired on july 26 2006 right so i think it was still kind of uncommon to see this relationship dynamic even in 2000 i think that's probably right i think that's probably true yes so that's that one yeah i actually i appreciated that when i feel again this is is the winner and you're right so far we have uh this sort of uneven hitching of a kind of a mediocre or not so great episode Hitched to the plow with a really much more interesting, much more compelling, even if Which it's not entirely successful. Good. Uh huh. The way that they're doing that is good, and you've liked. It hasn't even been the second episode every episode or every right. time. It's been the first, and then the second, and the second. Yeah. So, next up, uh-huh. the last two episodes, having aired on August second, two thousand and six, uh, Autopsy Room Four. And you know they got a hell of a band, which, which is believe. the most yeah. Stephen King title of anything ever that has ever been. I think, maybe, I think. So, I wonder which one of those two is going to. Why no? Well, we watch these for next episode. Uh-huh. Do you have anything else you would like to recommend to our lovely listeners while they are trying to remain inside, even while the weather is making them? Want to go outside? Um, I actually discovered, and I came late to it. Uh, CBS All Access, <gasps> and we've been catching up on Discovery. Yes, I think the, the, the Star, Star Trek. Trek Discovery. Right, and it has a really. We've only gotten what three episodes in? We four are episodes in. three. I think we are three episodes in. And there's a, a great cast: Shaniqua Martin, Martin Green. Green. Uh, Michelle Yao or Michelle Khan depends. Uh, she's in the first episode. At she least. got an and at the be- at the be- in the first couple of episodes. Uh, Jason Isaacs, Doug Jones, Anthony Rapp. Right, it's a very good cast. It is, and, and it's not consistent. And it's yet. gorgeous. It is beautiful. And I was the person who grew up on the old, very stage-bound Star Trek. Yes, that looked. You know, you never, never didn't know that this was on a stage. Yes. Somewhere. It Correct. looked very much like one. Everybody lean to the left. Right. And shake the camera <laughs> some. But this, uh, this show is, there's a painter's eye to the compositions mm-hmm. on this program. There is amazing first-rate work by Glenn Hetrick and, um, I forget the other guy's name. Glenn. Yeah, Glenn Hetrick and... Oh, um... Neville. Neville. I want to call him Longbottom, but that is a character. Neville Longbottom. From Harry Potter. Um, there's some really first rate makeup, special makeup, special effects makeup, I guess is, is the thing to say, being done on this program. Uh, the Klingons are this fantastic, weird. Uh, the amount of detail given to this this kind of universe is amazing, and the amount... Neville Page Neville is Page. his name, I'm sorry. I know, it sounded very English, so Longbottom yeah. would have been appropriate <laughs> too. But Neville Page and Glenn Hattrick are doing amazing stuff. Yes. Here. And Akiva Goldman is one of the directors on right. a, lot of, a lot of these. Um, he's writing a lot of them, and he's directing a lot of them. Right. There was an episode They're that so we saw beautiful. last night involving a uh, destructive alien creature on a Spaceship, abandoned spaceship, mostly abandoned. You know, there's things on it. Decimated, I think but is the word. <laughs> that was filmed really, really well, mm-hmm. all by flashlight and people running and out of breath. It was really well done. And so 
there's a much more cinematic sensibility, I think, than any of the previous Star Treks. Mm-hmm. You, and they're they're the ones also working on Picard, so I'm right. looking forward to seeing yeah, we that, which is going to be a very different vibe, right? Because it is going to be how long after the original See, yeah, Enterprise? So this is ten years before Enterprise, the original Enterprise. Yeah, and Picard will be after Next Generation, right? So right. that's what like an eighty year difference or something, something? like that. Something like that. But um, y'all, I'm doing bad Star Trek math, and I'm so sorry. Yeah, I, I was a fan of the original show. I saw it because there was so little science fiction on television when I was a kid. You couldn't find a lot of this stuff, so I really appreciated the old Star Trek. You know, lots of uh, stage kung fu and a lot Key of scene. monsters and emphatic speeches. Biracial kiss. Yes, as far on as I television. remember, on television, and it was cut out of some areas in the south. Gross. So, uh, yeah, great stuff. So I like the, the fact that tradition's going on. This is actually better looking to me than the Star Trek movies that have been recently released. Although I really like those. Well, so. I do like those, but this uh, there's something about, again, these beautiful landscapes and spacescapes, for lack of a better word, that are being painted. They really yeah. are something. Although, as much as I like them, uh-huh. they also kind of feel like... Screensavers to me. Yeah, you guys are so. So I'm Jay. I'm a little bit jaded because I know that those are all Mm -hmm. digital. Right. Although I bet that they're pulling from telescope. Right. Imagery. That's what it felt like. But they are digitally altering them, and so it does feel a little bit like, especially on the expansive TV that we have, it feels like a screensaver. It's gorgeous. I like looking at it. It's not as impressive to me when. When I was uh, <laughs> just about 20 years ago, because this is a little bit before Alex was born, I was working at a book distributor. My friend Ron had a screensaver that was just a star field, moving through the star field. And it, I guess it's mm-hmm. an easy cycle to do. Yes, um, precisely. And we both sat there. It's like one of the original gifts. <laughs> right. We both sat there looking at it going, when we were kids, because we were similar in age, mm-hmm. this was a special effect. Yes. You would sit there as a kid just entranced with... I'm moving through space. Well, absolutely. When right. that Starfield thing came out, I was like, man, when, that sucks because, yes. Yeah, it used to be that, and, and I have this on good authority, that one of the earliest Starfield effects was a huge sheet of dark plexiglass and someone with a literal, like, uh, drill that you go out at home, that you'd find out at Home Depot, drilling holes in this sheet and shining a light through it and then double exposing it so it looked right. like it was floating. And that was the work you did. You couldn't possibly impress anybody with that, unless it was your uncle or your mom. And look, 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 look what I made. So yeah, sad. People are impossible to please these days. Mostly me. Yes, mostly you. I, I will admit. No, I'm kidding. So, what did you see this week? Did you see something that you appreciated? Was it a star field? Was it a screensaver? It was neither of those things. What it was, was the Lovebirds. Oh yes, that was a good film. So. Kumail Nanjiani and Issa Rae uh-huh. made a romantic comedy that was supposed to come out in theaters before the world oh, ended. That's a pity, yes. Yeah. Um, they released it to Netflix. They got it picked up and distributed mm-hmm. by Netflix. Right. And so it was available as of this last weekend, and we watched it, and I loved it. It was really entertaining. And, um, I yeah. will. I think we talked a bit about Stuber right. previously, which was pretty dumb but also pretty funny was, this yeah. movie also a little bit dumb very funny i enjoyed it very much and they sidestepped yeah. some tropes that i was like how are you gonna like be are you gonna really be like a comedy version of queen and slim because that would be wild right. and i don't know how you would do that they get a, they they find a way to get around doing that uh, yeah, I, in a very smart way. I appreciated it. Yeah. I appreciated the fact that with both of these films, we're looking at a different kind of dynamic. Yes. In Stuber, you were looking at two heroes and a villain. Yes. And neither of them. None of those were white men. Were white men, and one of them is you know an Asian action star. Yes. Who's who's known here in the martial arts community is a big deal. But the fact that you could do all of this mm-hmm. and you could still include people like, um, I was about to call her Amy Pond. Uh, <laughs> Karen Gillan. And Mira Sorvino, God bless her, yes. showing up in that film and sort of contributing to it. Yes. And in this film, it was similar in that you had 
you're looking at a, a non-white couple. You're looking at a black woman and you're looking at an Indian yes. man. Uh, well, he's Pakistani. Pakistani. But, yeah. uh, he's an Afghan. No. Um, the Pashtun of the Afridi Kel. No. So you can cut that out. I read, Southeast Indian, I, or a Southeast Asian, right, rather. I've read a lot of Kipling, so my, my yeah, unfortunate thoughts to, are colored. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, and so you're looking at their dynamic, you're looking at the close-ups of these faces and thinking, you know, it's interesting how far we've come. Yeah. I remember the movie Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat! Where... Finish him. A reviewer brought up very happily that this is the first time in his memory that he saw two non-white characters fighting for the fate of the universe. And yeah. the producers were trying to push that the... Because there was a... Remember, is a white woman and a white man, an actor. Yes, yes. And an Asian character. And these were our three heroes. Yes. And so the producers... Or rather, there was some pressure to have the white character fight the Asian villain... Which is, um, I mean, I'm but, glad that they lost because honestly, mm, too, the Mortal Kombat characters, the white characters, uh, are the worst. Well, They're the most boring. The, what the director, who again is a white director, brought up is that he didn't think twice about having the two characters face each other because he said, this guy, one person's trying to prove his reputation as a film star, and the other guy, the Asian character that Robin Shu played, is avenging the death of his brother. So it's like he has but, so much more at stake right, than the right. other characters did. You're trying to so, be a star. I'm trying right. to re- avenge my brother. Yeah, like... Right. You know, it's like I'm trying out. to prove something about myself as a as a fighter, and it's like, no, the other guy really has something to do, to uh, a point to make as well. So it's interesting that that was an actual point of contention way back when yeah. Mortal Kombat was made. And now we're having entire films carried Yeah, with uh, leading performers who are not, and this is not to say, of course, that there's an issue with white performers, but <laughs> to say that there's a variety of people in the world, there's a variety of ticket owners. Yeah. There's a, they want to see their stories, too. Yes. And, frankly, as a white person, I want to see their stories. Right. I've seen all the white, sto- not all the white stories, obviously, but, like, mm. kind of a lot of them, most right. of them, many of them. Contrary to what Chris Pratt has to say. Uh-huh. Um... We've seen a lot of white stories. It's time right. for other people's stories. Right. Well, I just I, want good stories, y'all. I, I, I need it not to be... Also, Issa Rae uh, is um, stunningly gorgeous. It was hard at times um, not to be hypnotized by the cheekbones. Yes. That kept happening to me. It's like, oh my God, she's been carved. Yeah, she? no, she is. She's a literally sculptured person. She's like person. stupid looking. It's, it's wild how beautiful she right. is. It's like, like, I'm just going to sit and stare how do you at her even... now. I was like, wait, what is this movie about? And uh, then her original site is Awkward Black Girl. I'm like, when? Right. Well, <laughs> she's very tall. I think that she might is, have had something yeah. to do with it. No, she's, she's amazing. And yes, so not fucking hard to look at for an hour and a half or whatever it was. And, and they, also, they were very funny together. They're funny together. They have good chemistry. They she did. Tends to have, we, we've talked about that too, that there's some performers when we were talking about um, The Rock. No, no, Jason Statham, when we watched The Meg, right? Yeah. How unusual it was that he actually had chemistry with his leading lady. Yeah, he doesn't because usually. Because he doesn't really do that well. He doesn't share well. And there are several... Well. You know, action leads that don't. I right. I don't want to see The Rock kiss anybody. I'm sorry. He's he's been a family entertainer for so long that I'm like, nah, not interested. Vin Diesel never looks comfortable kissing a woman. Right. I am not going to speculate whether or not he is comfortable kissing women in general. He does not appear to be comfortable in front yeah, of a camera that, that kissing women, that, which right. is fine because it's weird. It's a weird thing to ask somebody to do. And when it looks like right. that, when there are two good-looking people who look like the last thing that they want to do is kiss, mm-hmm. then don't have them kiss. Well, hey, guess what? Uh-huh. There are movies where there's no romance. It's fine. There With women and men both in them. Are it's totally fine. <laughs> can carry this off. My generation was spoiled by Sean Connery. Right. Who's equally... At home in love scenes, in fight scenes, in dramatic scenes. There yes. are some actors who are that rounded. And then there's some actors who, uh, and this was another topic of conversation when we did Out of Africa, I think, or we talked about Out of Africa. Robert Redford, for some reason, rarely clicks with female leads. He is 
very winning, very engaging. I and never need to see him kiss anybody. Right, but... I just don't. It I works. Can, I, and right. I can still have, like, a weird crush on him. Right, but I think But that I don't need to see the... Out of I Africa mean, was one of the rare instances yes. where that worked because what you did see is that the director flipped the switch and said, he's the manic pixie dream girl. Right. And uh, Meryl Streep, who is a hell of an actress... Yes. ...and very obviously openly admitted to having an enormous crush on him is like magnetized to him, but his distance is what made him attractive. Right. And so that that actually worked by flipping it, going, okay, let's see how we can approach that dynamic differently. When I'm looking at Kumail and uh, Issa Rae here, they have a real feel for each other. They did. And they tease each other a lot. They look like a couple. Yes. And there's some really funny lines about um, the fact that they're a couple of color. Yes. And... um, and how they're going to stand out because they're being accused of committing a crime at this point and they're on the run. Yes. And that's not ignored. It's not like, oh, they're just people. Right. No, no, they're fully aware of the uh, dangers yes. of being a person of Which color. Which is the why the way that this plot sidesteps that issue, I mm. really appreciated. Because I was like, right. how? You can't make this funny. Yeah. So they just don't. They just step right. out of that entirely. Yeah. They're just like, nope, this is not an. We're making a comedy movie. We're right. going to remove ourselves from the Perlu's brutality area. Right. Area. We leave. We, they don't entirely, but they do to a point where right. they don't. You never at a cer- after a certain point worried, and kind of as soon as you see them in that right. in the uh, in the interrogation room together, I'm like, oh, I think they're going to be fine. Actually. Well, yeah, because <laughs> you that's, don't do that's that. A tip that <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I don't want to do too spoiler, so I'll, I will stop. Yeah, but, but it's a fun show. Yeah, a fun if program. you're worried that they tried to make a comedic uh-huh. Queen and Slim, that's not what this no. is. By the way, watch Queen and Slim. Yes, it's a heartbreaking movie, but it's a beautiful movie. It is. So, and this is not the comedic version. Of it. No. <laughs> yes. So that's what I was. That's it. Oh, good. I'm glad. Okay. That's all. That's a, That's all. We're do a short, short episode this week because we had short episodes this week. Next week, autopsy in room four, and you know they got a hell of a band. Wow, I hit the title of that. It really is Stephen Kingy though. Yeah. So Stephen Kingy. I think if he's going to do a cameo, it'll be in that one. It that should is be in the band. My. He's in the band, right? He's in the, the rock, rock bottom, bottom remainders. remainders. Yes. Is that where Amy Tan plays a triangle? Yes. Somebody plays a triangle. Uh, or a tambourine and maybe Joan Didion too there's a lot of people in it it just depends on who's around right no I think it's very cool and they raise money for food causes so Uh, maybe we'll talk about that next time read a book all of you read a book all right if you have questions comments mostly for Amity concerns you can email us at latecomerspod at gmail.com you can Mm -hmm. reach us on twitter at latecomerspod or you can find us on facebook by searching latecomerspodcast in the search bar I remind you, as always, to take your medicine, and we remind you, better late late than than never. never.